I think companies are realizing that developer time is a very valuable commodity and like developer happiness using their tools really matters a lot. And so there's like a lot of economic incentive for making these tools more productive and more seamless and less frustrating and less error prone. And so I guess I don't know why it's taken so long and it's probably different for each of these different parts of the stack, but the developers just like any other user, I think deserve like a really seamless user experience. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Zach Lloyd. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, really excited to be here, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on. Perfect. Yeah. So um, we chatted actually uh, maybe a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I don't know, but talked about Warp, and uh, I want to get into what Warp is. But first, can you intro who Zach is? Sure. So yeah, I'm I'm Zach. I'm a I guess primarily I would describe myself as a software developer. Been a developer for the past twenty something years. I'm also you know, at this point, a startup founder. I'm an ex-Googler. I used to um, be the engineering lead on on Google Sheets and helped build that product and then the engineering lead on the Google Docs suite when I was at Google. So I really like building collaborative productivity software. I am on my second startup now. And I, I really like, you know, if I had to sort of sum it up, I like taking things that are kind of like crappy software or like old school software or non-collaborative software and trying my best to make them into, you know, a more modern, better software experience that's more cloud oriented. It's kind of most of what I've done in my career. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know about the uh, the background in Google Sheets as well. Um, yeah. Big fan. I use it all the time. Cool. Glad you use it. Any bugs? <laughs> People used to, whenever I say that, they would always be like, oh, I really love Google Sheets, but do you know that you can't do X that you can do in Excel? That's like the most common. Yeah, so that was going to be my, most of my bugs would come from Excel. Yeah, I, I have a finance degree and uh, I spent a lot of time in Excel learning how to do macros and calculations and stuff like that. So I think probably 10 years ago, I might have tried to convert all my stuff from Excel to free Google Sheets and it just wasn't there yet. Yeah, I haven't attempted that like I don't use Excel the way I used to do it back when I had to do finance, but yeah, have not attempted to do any of that stuff since then. It's getting better. Like every time I use it, and I haven't I haven't worked on it for six or seven years. Every time I use it, it gets better. Yeah, uh, it's very hard to make it as good as Excel. A big part of that has to do with the fact that it's built in the web platform, which is you know it's also like its biggest advantage is that it's built in the web platform, and so it's inherently collaborative. And, you know, there's, there's like, you get to it via link, which is awesome, but to get the, um, the performance as good as Excel was always just like a major, major challenge and very, very hard to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. That sounds like a hard problem I don't want to work on, but speaking <laughs> of which, uh, I'll circle back on some other questions about, about Google Sheets, but some other hard problems is building <laughs> terminals. Yeah. Uh, want to talk about like, what is Warp and like, what, what's the deal over there? Yeah, so Warp is a company that I founded uh, a little over two years ago. The product is a, it's like a complete reinvention of the terminal. It's built in Rust, uh, so it's a totally native app. Like the problems that we're trying to fix are, you know, basically the terminal is a 
super widely used tool. It's probably used by every developer every day, whether they want to or not. All sorts of developer activities flow through it, whether it's like you're using Vim and coding in it, or you're building your code, or you're using CLIs to interact with different cloud services. So a ton of it's like a Swiss Army knife, like a ton of different use cases. And my take on like the product experience of using the terminal is that it's traditionally been like a pretty piece of software from a like usability perspective. Uh, it's a thing that's like hard to learn. I think it's intimidating to a lot of new developers. It's very like easy to make catastrophic mistakes in it. You know, like the mouse doesn't work in it. And so the, the idea behind Warp is to sort of rethink it from first principles, look at what developers do in the terminal and try to build an app that feels modern and makes them, you know, much more efficient in it, makes them more productive, makes them less frustrated and really like makes it so that, you know, any user can kind of get the most power out of the tool. Uh, so that's like the kind of the big vision. Yeah, and it, it's it's I, maybe it's similar or it's, it's relevant because we almost had a whole other podcast about Excel. Okay. But Excel is like one of those tools that you just kind of you deal with it. It's been around for a bit. Even Google Sheets, like spreadsheets in general, like we'll zoom out in the spreadsheets. It's a it's software that you kind of just accept its limitations. Yes. And it's the terminal is the same thing. Like I, I I've been a regular terminal user on the Mac since. I started programming on a Mac. So I used to do PC programming like college days, but since Mac, Terminal, I don't need iTerm, I don't need all this other stuff. I just use Terminal. Uh, and like I know how to get around with just Terminal and like I accept its limitations. And my first experience in Warp, uh, which we can get more details on like why you built Warp and what led you to that decision, but it just makes so much more, more sense. And I, I, I question my life decisions for the past like... <laughs> Five years, I'm not even trying to iterm. To be honest, like it's just like it, it, it's intuitive in a, in a sense that like I, I kind of wish this was like fixed and approached earlier. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, thank you. I'm glad that it's. I'm glad that you had that reaction. You know, the the, the really big differences out of the gate that someone will see is that the two main things that people do in the terminal is like they enter commands and they look at the output, and we just sort of change the way those two fundamental UI primitives work. Like we basically give you structure around the output, which makes a ton of sense. Like you enter a command and that command produces output and you, it makes sense that you'd want to be able to sort of do things with that output as one unit. And then the input is so friggin' weird in a normal terminal. Like the mouse doesn't work. You can't double click and like delete things. And like you kind of have to unlearn everything that you are used to doing in every other app, whether you're in VS Code or Google Docs or whatever, to use the terminal input. And so we're just like, it shouldn't work like that. Let's try to, you know, build build the thing that actually, in a way that that if you're building it from scratch, you would try to to make it right. Um, so yeah, that's that aligns with what you're saying. Yeah, and it's the other sense of um, like every time I learned about programming, I learned on the job through. Like a coworker or a senior, more senior engineer that just knew their way around the terminal better, so it'd be like, "We're gonna pair on a problem." Yeah, I'll stop them and say, "Hey, what did you what did you do there?" And like my example is the control R thing. Yeah, I didn't know that until like five years into my career. That's insane. That you can like you can go into history and be like, "Oh, you don't just have to keep hitting up until you get to what you need." That's insane. I think I, honestly, I think I learned that the same way. Like I was at Google, and I I think I I think it was this guy Josh on my team who I saw him pulling up old commands and you're like, whoa, what? Because the, yeah, the terminal does not, it's not really interested in helping its users learn how to use it effectively. It's almost like a, 
you know, and I think in an extreme case, there's almost like a, um, like write a passage or something where it's like developers have kind of, they like in some of them, I would say like the steepness of the learning curve. And like, it feels like if you learn like the magical incantation to do something, all of a sudden you can do, you know, a thing that like just seems like crazy. You couldn't do that before. I do think on the whole, that's probably not how it should work though. And it's not the best thing for the world of software development that the terminal has to be such a weirdly opaque old school uh, UI. Yeah. And I think there's this sort of, uh, I don't want to say arms race because I feel like that's a bad analogy, but like there's like this movement of people now improving situations and developer experiences. So I worked at Netlify uh, previously and they deployed apps to the cloud easier. It was all built on Kubernetes. Anybody could have built their own Kubernetes cluster to make this work. But what Netlify said is like, you don't need to learn Kubernetes. You can have these deploys happen automatically. And like every other cloud provider today does the same thing. Yep. But now we're seeing now people are approaching this with databases and with IDEs and terminals. And um, it's wild that there's like not more <laughs> terminals to choose from. I mean, there's probably a ton, but the expectation is like, oh, it is a rite of passage or there's like a, a, a crew of folks who choose this terminal and we will learn it together and there's a community and like it's like sort of like uh not gatekeeping but essentially gatekeeping of like yeah we know how to use this thing we know how to be powerful uh and wizards in the terminal we will keep it that way yeah i mean it, there's definitely a like you said there's a trend right now of of how do you give developers like first class user experiences Netlify is a great example. Even in like developer adjacent tools like like Linear, the task tracking tool, I think that they're trying really hard to just make that like the experience of uh, you know the tools developers use every day like more consumer grade. I think companies are realizing that developer time is a very valuable commodity, and like developer happiness using their tools really matters a lot. And so there's like a lot of economic incentive for making these tools more productive and more seamless and less frustrating and less error prone. And so, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I don't know why it's sort of taken so long and it's probably different for each of these different parts of the stack, but the developers just like any other user, I think deserve like a really seamless polished user experience. And that's, you know, that's a big part of, of what we're going for. Yeah. I wanted to dig in deeper on the the Rust connection and the decision towards building like building with Rust. Yeah. Um, so, did you have a lot of experience with Rust prior to making that this technical decision? I had z- no zero zero experience okay. with Rust. So my my history is as a a developer in web tech primarily. I've done a lot of development in in JavaScript. I've done a lot of development in Java on the server side. I've done native iOS development. I you know back when I was. In school, I did C and C plus plus development, um, but I'd never done Rust development. We prototyped Warp as a Electron app, and you know, Warp is a desktop app. I guess one thing to just clarify: terminals kind of need to still be desktop apps, just because they access your local file system. And uh, you know, I do think there's advantage to a terminal that can work in the browser, but it's not the primary use case. So we did an Electron prototype. It was pretty. You know, quick to build, but didn't perform very well. Very heavy resource usage and and higher like like operational latency in terms of frame rate, like lower throughput in terms of rendering a lot of data. Like if you're like catting a log file, it goes by very quickly. And 
we thought from a developer experience standpoint that performance is really, really important, especially for this tool. Like a lot of times, if you're doing something in the terminal, you're doing it all like hands on keyboard, you want speed, you want flexibility, you want efficiency. And so we just decided to look at what would be sort of the fastest uh, stack to build this in. Rust was something that we learned about. We, we had someone join us on the team early who had experience with Rust, who had developed some code in Rust that was actually important for getting us going. And then we all learned it. And it was one of the more important decisions that we made and like a decision I'm super happy with as far as like how the app now is like, and we do it. We don't, it's not just that the app is in Rust. It's like, it's in Rust and we do the full stack of rendering, meaning like we have our own UI framework that's written in Rust. We interface with the graphics code directly. So it's like on Mac, that, that API is metal. And so we have our own shader code and, you know, it's like a, there's obviously a lot of overhead and you give up a bunch of stuff when you say, okay, I'm going to build the whole stack. But from a product quality standpoint and from a, us like controlling the way the app works standpoint, it, it was a really uh, good decision that I'm, I'm super happy with. And the Rust community is awesome. Like Rust gets us a lot of marketing value. Like a lot of developers are interested in Rust. Rust is helpful on the recruiting side. Uh, like a lot of really awesome engineers want to build things in Rust. And so, yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's valuable. And like I know, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the uh, the VC, but there's a there's a VC that is very very adamant about investing in Rust forward companies. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, this is not. We don't need to call out all the VCs on this uh, podcast, but yeah, I just I follow them on Twitter, and uh, their like portfolio is like every cutting edge Rust tool, which we can talk about offline. That's a hilarious thesis. I guess that makes some sense. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a dev tool VC, so it's, it's a smaller up and coming one. So um, they're sort of making some bets on the future of Rust, which Rust has been around for quite a bit of time. Like I, I spent a lot of time working in Go, I guess around like six or seven years ago. Yeah. At that time I had spent some time learning Rust and it was like pre 1.0. Mm-hmm. It was like too early for me to even get into systems programming. because uh, I was mainly a web web dev and I was just like sort of tinkering. Yeah. Just didn't have enough infrastructure and documentation for me to keep going on that. But uh, I'm happy to see Rust is now, you know, it's it's solidified itself in the industry and like figured its way into web programming and, and other places. Yeah, it's evolving very quickly. You know, our, our server is not built in Rust. Our server is built in Go. And we sort of made that decision at the time based on the maturity of like all of the cloud infrastructure around like server hosting on Rust. I don't, I, I personally don't know if that was even the right decision, but yeah. people, people on our team are happy with that decision. But yeah, I've been really impressed with Rust as a language. And, you know, there's a steep learning curve, but if you... You know, the benefit actually is not just that your app is fast if you build it right. It's that we, we just don't have many crashes. Uh, you have to kind of work to do like null pointer dereferences and, and uh, you know, like memory leaks and that type of stuff in Rust. Uh, so it's, it's a rigid language that I think forces you to actually program in a pretty effective way. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, a bit of this uh, earlier when you're describing Warp, but I'm curious if, if you could run down some features that make it different from other terminals. Yeah, so there's like two classes of features in Warp. So one is like features around making the individual user experience better, and I talked about some of those. So it's like Warp has its own input editor. Uh, Warp has this concept of output blocks. The other set of features is not as developed, but 
basically we're trying to make the terminal into a cloud native collaborative app. And so, you know, uh, a thing you can do in warp that doesn't exist in any other terminal is like any command you run, you can basically get a, a permalink to its output that you can share with people on your team. It's like an example of that. Uh, another really cool feature that leverages the cloud is uh, we have an integration with OpenAI Codex. And so you can do natural language command search in Warp. So you can be like, what's the command for tarring up all the files in this directory? Which is like, I don't, I don't know, tar, X, Z, whatever it is. It'll just, it just tells you. Uh, and it works like pretty remarkably well. Uh, it's another like cloud-based feature we have. And then other interesting things I would call out. So it, other other terminals really require quite a bit of configuration in order to get to a point where you're powerful in them. And Warp just sort of ships with things out of the box that make life easier. So for instance, we ship with completions for about 500 commands. We ship with this feature called Workflows, which is basically snippets, like templatized snippets for commonly used commands. We ship now, as of last week, with syntax highlighting and auto-suggestions. We give you a red dash if your command has an error in it, like kind of like auto uh, error correction. And so a lot of things that people would previously like search on GitHub to find a project that makes their terminal better, we just like have incorporated it and integrated it into the product. And sometimes in collaboration with these other open source tools, which exist. But you know, the idea is like you shouldn't have to spend a ton of time configuring your terminal to get like a power user experience out of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I, I do appreciate as well because like I I don't know like all the stuff you need to know to make the terminal as useful as it can be. So like Tmux is one thing that I've never really I never really dug super deep into. Like I know how to use it and how to like spin up a server to then call somewhere else. But I'm curious like the collaboration features, like being able to share environments across machines. Like I, I personally I use Warp specifically, so I am a Warp user. If anyone's listening and wants to know, but I have one machine that I only do like side project work on uh, and like a bunch of writing. So it's like a it's a 13 inch MacBook that I keep upstairs away from the like the regular office setup, um, just to be in the different headspace. And I've made a point to put warp on there and getting started, like getting every environment, like my ZSH and all this stuff, like it was it was pretty quick. Um, yeah. like I was able to be productive very quick, which I can't say when I when I bought this uh, M1 machine. Uh, it took me about a half a day until I think about, oh, what do I need to install? How do I set this up? Yeah, I mean, on the so one feature that we haven't built that we would, to, just to speak to your current use case, that we would like to build is the ability that when you log into Warp, no matter what computer you're on, it could be a brand new computer, that all of your settings just are there. Yeah. Just kind of other, like the way Chrome Sync works, for instance. Another like collaborative feature that we have sort of in the works right now that is not uh, yet publicly launched we're sort of doing some testing with design partner teams is around making it really easy to uh, share a library of terminal commands and even share documentation around those commands via something that like looks a little bit like a notebook that lives in the terminal. You know, and the idea there is that there's a lot of knowledge that is living in single developers' heads when they use the terminal that would be beneficial to the rest of their team members to have a way of searching through, executing, updating, keeping everyone in sync. And that could be like, make it really easy to onboard into a particular environment, or it could be like, 
you're doing some production DevOps tasks, like you're upgrading a database. What are all the steps that you need to do? And that sort of documentation lives outside of the tool right now, in large part, and we're trying to make it easier and more seamless to bring it into it. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, that shipping as well, because like uh, I can have that sync on my, my main machine, and then uh, I'm good to go forever, as long as uh, Warp keeps shipping updates. Yeah. Cool. Uh, curious the um, business model. Like, how, how are you all making money? Are you just like going for mass user adoption, or is there an actual Teams plan or something like that? So, at the moment, there is no paid Warp uh, plan. Warp is totally free. You know, we have we have no plans to charge individual warp users ever. The idea is at the moment just build something that developers love, that they want to use for work, that they want to use for personal, um, and that it makes them more productive. And so we're just trying to basically get as many people to try warp as possible at the moment. The eventual business model that we're planning on pursuing is is around like enterprise and team features. So the goal is not to charge individual developers for using Warp. It's to build something that's valuable to a whole team that doesn't even exist right now, build something that makes the, the, the whole terminal more valuable to a company where a company would buy it for its developers and make money uh, that way. There's no, just some other things, just to clarify, we don't, uh, when you use Warp, we don't, none of your terminal data goes to our servers. We don't know what command you're typing. We don't know what the output is. We do at the moment collect like telemetry, meaning like how many new tabs did you make or did like that type of thing. We're adding a feature to disable that. But the, the plan is never to make money around people's data or anything like that. We really want to build something that is useful and makes teams more productive, makes their environment more secure, makes their systems more reliable and charge for that. That's the goal, but there's no... We're not in like a, a big rush to try to monetize it. We're in a big rush right now to just try to make the the product really good for developers. Yeah, that seems like a pretty um, like valuable path as well. Because like one of the things that I worked at a startup like back in 2015, I remember reading a blog post uh, before I worked at GitHub about how GitHub set up their environments for new engineers at GitHub. Yeah, uh, and it was like through a bunch of script commands, and then that encouraged us for our team to set up. Our environments where it's reproducible really quickly. So, like, spill a beer on your machine, like you could be coding by the afternoon on a new machine pretty quickly. Yeah. So, as far as like setting up teams and like even open source, like we also have, we don't have a big team, but as we we look to hire in the future, we want people to get like be successful pretty quickly or be able to ship code pretty quickly. And if we have a lot of like nuance and for sure. stuff to jump in through or sort of central, uh, whatever the. Source of truth. Source of truth. Yes, we want the single source of truth of like, okay, this is how environments get set up at Open Source or XYZ Enterprise. Yes, and are you guys? I guess out of curiosity, do you use Code Spaces? Have you tried to do it like that? Uh, at GitHub, they use Code Spaces um, for obvious reasons. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. Like, if uh, inside baseball, not everyone is using Code Spaces internally. Okay, so like, you're not going to rip the terminal out of every engineer's hands. At open source, we don't use code spaces because I know how much it costs, and uh, we're not ready to pay for that. Super interesting. Like I, I'm very, I'm very interested in how the um, transition to remote development environments will go, and I'm also very interested in the question of like how do you make it very easy to standardize the development environment? And there's there's a lot of different 
approaches to this. And yeah. whenever I talk to a new startup, I always ask like, what, like, what are you doing for this? Yeah, so I, I, I know a bit of. Uh, we can talk more about this offline, but yeah. <laughs> let's just say like when Microsoft is providing compute for code spaces, there's a bit of a discount happening there. I see. And every other startup that's in the space has a lot of credits, so everyone needs to figure out how they're going to pay for this down the road. Yeah. So anyone who's doing cloud IDEs, like that's basically the the summarizer really quickly. I'm happy to any any cloud IDE stack blitz code sandbox. You want to come on the podcast and talk about your business model? I'm happy to have you. Uh, so open shout out. Cool. Uh, so I just wanted to, we're winding the conversation, but I just wanted to find out, you mentioned in passing, you'd have the like cloud sync will be like a future feature. What else is uh, coming down the roadmap for, for Warp? Yeah, so the, the things that users are requesting most are cross-platform support. So a Linux build, a Windows build. We would also like to do a web build of Warp. I think there's interesting use cases there around like, using Warp to connect to a remote machine or using Warp for collaboration. So cross-platform is is a thing that we will do. It will take us some time. I don't have like a time estimate. We will also eventually build real-time collaboration into the terminal. So that's like, hey, I'm using Warp and I want to uh, have someone look at what I'm doing because I'm about to, I'm SSH into some machine and I'm trying to understand the logs and I want someone else there and uh, so the ability to like really seamlessly share terminal sessions is something that is uh, coming down the pipe, but not imminent. And then trying to really like get these initial sort of cloud team features is important. That's coming. And then I guess the final thing would be we really want to make Warp into uh, not just a product, but more of a platform where there is extension points that uh, you know people can can build things in. And so some examples would be. You know, adding completions for your own internal tools or adding richer renderings within our blocks. There's a lot of ideas we have around like how the uh, developers could extend warp and code and uh, have have their their own code make the terminal a more powerful platform. Cool. Yeah, looking forward to yeah checking that out. We're actually working on a CLI tool for for open source as well. So. Yeah, we'd definitely love to have like be able to hook into other extensions and present data in a way that's useful for our users. So yeah, definitely be paying attention and uh, continue to be a happy Warp user. Cool. Uh, but with that, uh, I want to actually transition us to picks. So these are jam picks. Anything that you're jamming on could be music, food, technology related. Uh, nothing's off the table. And if you don't mind, I will go first and share my pick, which yeah. is. Um, Wisecut. Wisecut is actually a platform that I, I only discovered in the last couple of weeks. I had created a lot of content. Uh, one of our, our marketing strategy, if anyone wants the inside baseball on how we're basically customer acquisition and, and, and stuff like that for open source, uh, we started a YouTube series called The Secret Sauce. And it's like a podcast with video on YouTube. And we just have conversations with folks who potentially will be a, a customer or potentially would be a user of open source to kind of hear their story and find out like what where their wins were. Um, we take those and we've been slicing them in the clips for TikTok and Instagram uh, and YouTube shorts. And Wisecut actually has a feature to do this like automatically through machine learning. So rather than take the clip and then try to slice it to like follow me around if I happen to move too much, it actually knows who's talking and will follow that person around and make a clip. Uh, so if you ever use like a tool like Descript, where you can like see the words, you can also edit based on words. Um, so finding clips inside of like an hour long podcast has never been easier, and uh, it's like produ- like it's turned around our, our sort of workflow where 
I probably should do more stuff than just TikTok as a founder. But uh, so now I can I can do less editing and more just like uh, getting it done and moving on. That's super cool. Is it is it using OpenAI or some public API? Do you, do you know how it does the ML? That's a good question. I didn't actually. So I, I did actually have a conversation with the founder actually yesterday. Okay. For the uh, first time, I didn't go into details because uh, their CTO wasn't on the call, and their their CTO is their brother, and had they had built everything. So I don't have that answer. But if you're interested in trying out WiseCut, um, it's probably in their documentation or something somewhere. But yeah, it's using some sort of like um, video model to find audio. Like it's tracking audio to know who's speaking. But then it could also see who's like actually their their mouth is moving. Uh, it's it's pretty clever. It's like um, exactly what I needed at the right time. That's very very cool. Um, so my pick will be will be Loom. Are you familiar with Loom? Yeah, yeah. I, I've used a lot of Loom. I I had a paid account at GitHub, and then now I don't have a paid account. So I've already hit my twenty five Loom videos per month limit or whatever it is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we we use it for. Well, I don't want to snipe your pick, but <laughs> yeah, we use it for um, doing quick like design walkthroughs or engineering demos. Yeah. So for Loom, in case folks don't know, it lets you do a screen recording and record yourself talking over it, and then gives you a permalink to it. The use case that I guess there's a couple use cases for Loom lately that I've I've thought have been really cool. So typically now, when um, an engineer on our team sends a pull request that has a user facing change, they will do a Loom showing off like how the feature works. Which is, you know, if, kind of if you're me, I don't I don't review every PR at all, but I'll sometimes go in and like to see the demos and the progress and what the PRs do. So that's an awesome use case. And then the other really cool use case that we've had lately is, so we do recruiting, we're hiring, and specifically we're hiring a, like a product designer. And I decided to try putting a loom of me demoing Warp in our like outreach email. And it's actually gotten, you know, we've gotten positive feedback from design candidates who are like, this is awesome. It's so cool to see like, the founder of a company explaining the product as part of the outreach, and so that's uh, that's my my Loom my Loom shout out. Also, one of a close friend of mine uh, runs the engineering team at Loom. So, oh, nice, excellent. Yeah, it's definitely. It, I don't know how long it's been around, but definitely during the pandemic uh, when everyone was remote, Loom became very useful um, to be able to do those demos because, like, we just. It's like you don't really need to do another Zoom call when someone could just give a video and then we comment directly in line inside the URL. Yes. Uh, so it's I, I tried pushing for having a Loom integration at um, at GitHub, like inside the PR or some sort of extension, but yeah, uh, conversations went stale. So oh, uh, I think that's a good idea. That that is literally we we use it for that. Oh yeah, very popular. I, I don't know any engineers that uh, well. I have a very small cohort of engineers I talk to, but yeah, it's it's pretty common to have it. Also, at open source as well, like trying to get your convey your point or a quick demo of like the bug you found. Loom has been been a, a really easy lift to do that. Like bug reports come in through Loom. That's really interesting. Yeah, because like the, trying to re- reproduce it through just text sometimes a lot of stuff can get lost in translation, especially if you're working with folks international, and uh, if you don't overlap in time zone. Yeah. Looms a, it was a quick way to get to the point and then and move on. Got it. Cool. Cool. Well, appreciate the time, Zach, uh, chatting through Warp, uh, Excel. Thank you for having me, Brad. It's been awesome. And uh, folks, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. 
This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. 